But you're having too much fun, I know. All right. It's finally here. The DeKalb County Free Fall Fair has arrived. So I hope you're excited about that. Hope you're excited to be here today with uh, brothers and sisters in Christ to worship the God of the universe. That's why we're here. Hope that's why you're here. Oh. We want to welcome our online crowd. I haven't gotten a report on how many of you there are lately or, or who specifically you are, but we, we want this service to be a blessing to you as well. Let us know if uh, you're watching. Make a comment and identify yourself. We, we like knowing who's out there. And uh, let's see. We will have the Monday online prayer service tomorrow. Um, that's at 4.30, and uh, you, can, you can text me a prayer request in anticipation of that, or you can, you can even ask, you can make a prayer request while I'm on uh, that uh, service, so... I uh, want to remind all of our Wednesday night folks, do not come here Wednesday evening. It's fair week. We always take fair week off from Wednesday. So uh, 
it'll be uh, the following Wednesday that we resume. And uh, we need, uh, need some of the Wednesday night people to volunteer to bring a dish. The sign-up sheet is over here uh, on the table. And uh, that'll be for, what's that date? A week from this Wednesday? October 6th, I think it is. I believe I'm right. Yep. Sp spaghetti. Spaghetti supper. So, yeah, take a look at that uh, sign-up sheet and uh, let us know if you can bring something. That'd be great. And... I think that's all I've got. Christian, come on up here. <laughs> um, just have a really quick announcement. Um, there are still some spots open on parking for the fair, so if you guys could fill those, please, and thank you if you have time in your schedule. Really appreciate, appreciate that. Wow. And then lastly, um, so the VBS Council, they are actually... Um, we're going to meet um, right after church on October the 10th. So October the 10th, we're going to have a meeting, and hopefully it'll probably be about 30 minutes, hopefully, and we'll talk and discuss about where we see VBS going, what we want to see out of it, who we want to see come, and maybe who the volunteers are, but this is mostly just the overarching theme of what do we want to do with VBS and what we see as uh, kingdom of God, of of helping these young ones learn about him. So, thank you guys. All right. Let's go, uh, oh, what do you got, Ron? Hey, I just want to remind everybody that the next couple Sundays, the church door will be open after church. Everything in there is for reprieve. So come over there and fill your bags up. You, sir, are a violator because you never get to speak without a microphone in your face. So for our online crowd, Captain Ron says that the Helping Hands house will be open after church the next two, the next two, this one and the next one. Is that what you mean by the next two? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, free stuff from the Helping Hands House. So go take some of it off their hands. They, they really don't have enough room. And uh, Mrs. Herondine wants to speak as a violator without, without a microphone. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, Karen's thankful for uh, the salvation of her dad before he went to be with the Lord. So, yeah. And for everybody who prayed. All right. Let's go to the Lord and we'll get started with our worship time. Heavenly Father, you're so good. You are amazingly generous to your children. Father, we thank you that we are counted among them here in our little corner of your vineyard. And 
Lord, we're so thankful that there are brothers and sisters in so many places worshiping you in this same way as we are. Lord, we lift up our, our hearts with theirs to proclaim you as the amazing God. Lord, we thank you for your creativity and your power and your worthiness to be praised. And we bring these songs to honor you today through your son, Jesus. Amen.
Taking out time, wander around a little bit and meet and greet some folks and get to know who they are.
33, 20 through 22, Psalm 34, 1 through 3. We wait in hope for the Lord, for he is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glory the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. You're the God of this city. You're the King of these people. You're the Lord of this nation.
A few years ago, my wife and I saw the, the movie 42, which was based on the story of Jackie Robinson, the first black man to play Major League Baseball. Breaking baseball's color barrier, he faced hostile crowds everywhere he went. Opposing players stomped on his feet and they kicked him every time they got the chance. While playing in his home stadium in Brooklyn one day, he made an error, one of the few that he made. And the fans began to ridicule him. He stood at second base, completely humiliated, while the fans showered him with boos and insults. And then shortstop Pee Wee Reese came over and stood next to Jackie Robinson. He put his arm around him and faced the crowd, said nothing, and gradually the fans grew quiet. Years later, Robinson said that arm around his shoulder probably saved his career. We're sometimes like Jackie Robinson, full of shame, Sometimes, like him, our shame is not from anything we've done. And then at other times, our shame is from our own sin, our own guilt, our own fault. For the Christian, the Lord's Supper is when Jesus comes alongside us and slips his arm around our shoulder 
bearing our shame for us. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. It's here at this weekly gathering around his table that we as his sheep come once again to his sheepfold. For him to shepherd and oversee us, we come with the rest of the flock to acknowledge that we are his sheep and he is the good shepherd. And so we remember the broken body of Christ as we partake of the bread. And we remember his sacrifice as we partake of the cup. Father, we thank you for the institution of this small ceremony, small in size and in length, but huge in significance because we're reminded once again of what your son did on the cross for us, taking all of our sins and giving us forgiveness once and for all. Lord, help us to love Jesus more each time we remember. It's through his name we pray. Amen. Today I found myself after searching all these years. And the man that I saw, he wasn't at all who I thought it'd be. Well, I was lost when you found me here. And I was broken beyond repair. And then you Let's dismiss the children to their own worship program at this time.
After the Indianapolis Colts won Super Bowl 41 in 2007, Coach Tony Dungy wrote in his first book, Quiet Strength, the following words. Some people say it's a letdown to finally reach a destination, but for us, reaching the Super Bowl was even more exhilarating than I had anticipated. That may be because I hadn't really, it hadn't really been my focus. All along, my focus had been on doing things the way I thought was right, walking where I felt the Lord was guiding. Since I absolutely wanted to reach the Super Bowl, but I always tried to keep that goal in its proper place in my life, with the Lord beside me, I felt certain that whatever was supposed to happen was going to happen. He didn't call me to be successful in the world's eyes. He called me to be faithful. If only King Solomon had learned that lesson. We can only wonder how it might have changed the history of Israel. In our series through Ecclesiastes during this month, we've seen that Solomon was frustrated because life was so futile. It was so short, and it seemed to him to be so monotonous. He tried to find the answers to the questions of life and science and philosophy and psychology, but to no avail. He tried to indulge in the pursuit of pleasure, but it left him empty. In today's text, Solomon expresses his frustration in his pursuit of productivity. Read along with me in Ecclesiastes 2, starting in verse 17. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This, too, is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. And this, too, is meaningless. Solomon's activities have been many, and they've been diverse. He's built houses, and he's planted vineyards. He's designed and developed parks, gardens, and orchards. He has designed and built reservoirs to water those gardens and parks. He has amassed gold and silver. He's brought in probably the best entertainers that money can buy. And he has a huge harem. 
But the sad truth for Solomon is that the pursuit of productivity is meaningless. Today we'll look at three reasons that statement is true. First of all, the pursuit of productivity is meaningless unless it's directed by God. Unless it's directed by God. Remember that Solomon was given the gift of wisdom when he was a young man in 1 Kings 3. He was wiser than anyone in the world. But a man of wisdom still has to make good choices. He did well in that regard early in his kingship, but he made a lot of bad choices later in life. He engaged in activities that definitely were not directed by God. A certain harbor in Italy can be reached only by sailing up this narrow channel between dangerous rocks and shoals. Over the years, many ships have been wrecked and navigation is hazard. To guide the ships safely into port, three lights have been mounted on three huge poles in the harbor. So when the three lights are perfectly lined up and they're seen as one, a ship can safely proceed up that narrow channel. But if the pilot sees two lights, or even worse, three lights, he's in trouble. He knows he's off course and in danger. In Psalm 119.105, it says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Solomon's activities were not lining up with God's word, so he had no light. Turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy 17. There's a significant passage here regarding Solomon. This was back before the time of the kings in Israel, Deuteronomy 17 is. Moses was warning the Israelites that having an earthly king was not a good idea. But he also knew that Israel would clamor to have a king like other nations. And so God would allow them to have their king. But here in Deuteronomy 17, he was outlining the restrictions that he would place on these kings. In Deuteronomy 17, verses 16 and 17, Moses writes, The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. Israel's kings were forbidden to accumulate large numbers of horses. God didn't want a king to reckon his military might on how many horses he had. He wanted them to count on him. But King, 1 Kings 10 says that Solomon had 12,000 horses and 1,400 chariots. He built stables, and he even had what he called chariot cities. 
And they were forbidden to take many wives and risk having their hearts turned away from God. And yet, 1 Kings 11 says Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines, and that his wives turned his heart after other gods. Israel's kings were forbidden to accumulate large amounts of silver and gold, but 1 Kings 10 tells us that he had so much silver it became worthless, and he took in tons of gold every year. And obviously, the kings were told not to build temples and altars to pagan gods, but that's exactly what Solomon did. Productive? He was, by the world's standards, but not by God's. What is your gift? Do you have an ability or a talent that you feel is God-given? Our gifts are given to us to be used as God intended them to be. If they are used for his glory, they're productive. And if not, they're meaningless. Secondly, the pursuit of productivity is meaningless unless it's centered around God. Unless it's centered around God. Teenage boy applied for a job in one of those big 16-screen movie theater complexes. And during the interview, the manager outlined in great detail his expectations for his ushers and those working in his theater. A routine part of the interview included questioning the prospective usher about what he or she might do in the event of certain emergencies. The manager asked, suppose a fire breaks out in the rear of the theater, what would you do? This boy was very confident as he answered, oh, don't worry about me, I'd get out all right. There are so many whose outlook is entirely self-centered. I said in the first message in this series that one of the key words in this book is meaningless. Hence the title of the series, Meaningless. Among the other key words, three of them are I, me, and my. They're used 10 times in today's text. And there would be more, except after a few verses, Solomon switches to the third person as though he's speaking of some anonymous subject, but he's really speaking about him. Look again at verses 21 through 23 of our text. He says, For a person like him, may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they, that is I, must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people, that is, what do I, get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? And all their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. And this too is meaningless. 
He's speaking of himself with those pronouns. It's easy to be self-absorbed, even when you try not to be. I saw a magazine cartoon where two young women are leaving church on a Sunday morning, and one says to the other, this morning's sermon about only thinking of yourself was really moving. The other said, yeah, it had quite an effect on me too. It's the first time I didn't pray that I'd find a good man to marry. Instead, I prayed that my parents would get a good son-in-law. It's hard not to be self-absorbed. In all of his life, Solomon's activities were centered around himself. And now his nose is out of joint because he can't take his trophies with him when he dies like anyone can. He says it's all meaningless. Solomon was productive by the world's standards, but it all centered around him, Solomon. It didn't center around God. Do you remember the story of Mary and Martha in the New Testament? Turn your Bibles to Luke 10 if you've got them. Mary and Martha, you remember, were the sisters of Lazarus, who was a, a friend of Jesus. And he lived in Bethany with his sisters. And Jesus had come to their house, and he was teaching, as he usually did, with a big crowd surrounding him. And Sister Mary was at the feet of Jesus, and she was just enthralled. She was learning the things that he was teaching. Her sister Martha, on the other hand, took responsibility. She cooked, she prepared, and then she complained to Jesus about her sister not helping. But Jesus says in Luke 10, 41 and 42, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Even though Martha was working behind the scenes, her activities were productive, but they were in part about herself. She kind of liked being the one who waited hand and foot on Jesus, prepared the food, cleaned up after the meal, but it was in part about herself. Solomon's activities were productive, but they were Solomon-centered. Think about your service to the church. Do you ever do it grudgingly or with resentment? Do you ever get offended if you learn that somebody else was crowding into your territory? Or do you get offended when Nobody else is doing what you're doing. We need to be careful. Maybe our service is centered around ourselves. Solomon's productivity was meaningless because it wasn't centered around God. And then thirdly, the pursuit of productivity is meaningless unless it's directed toward God. The reason Solomon is upset, somebody else is going to get what he built or what he acquired.
But there are a couple things that he's forgetting. One of those things he's forgetting is that everything he has, he only has because his father was the king. If David hadn't been king, Solomon wouldn't ever have been born. His mother Bathsheba wouldn't have even known David, his father. And David was only king of Israel because he was chosen by God. It wasn't anything he did. But David did all the conquering, even though it was with God's help. David did all the conquering, and David secured all the boundaries to create peace in the kingdom with God's help. David had set the price of taxation for his conquered territories, and now Solomon was benefiting from those taxes that had been levied. I said there were a couple things he's forgetting. The other thing is that the person who is inheriting his wealth is his son. It'll be Rehoboam. Yet Solomon says in verses 18 and 19, I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Well, Solomon doesn't know if his own son will be wise or foolish, which tells me he doesn't know his son very well. And there's a big part of the problem. It's often true that the apple, as they say, doesn't fall far from the tree. John Harvard was the founder of Harvard University. He was a strong Christian leader with fundamental biblical beliefs. And his purpose for the founding of Harvard University was to train preachers for the ministry. It was on that basic premise that he left his wealth to endow the school when he died. If only John Harvard knew that the university that bears his name has done more to hinder Christianity than any other institution in America. There's no way that John Harvard could have guaranteed that his school would remain faithful to his beliefs. And there's no way that Solomon could know for certain that his son would exercise wisdom. And as it turns out, Solomon's fears were well-founded. His son would not exercise wisdom. His son Rehoboam was a fool, just like dear old dad. See, even though Solomon was endowed with the greatest wisdom a man ever had, he made very, very foolish choices and set the example for his son. Rehoboam followed Solomon's example. Solomon was right. Everything in his life was meaningless because it wasn't directed by God and it wasn't centered around God and it wasn't directed toward God. A few years ago, I got a new cell phone. I didn't want a new phone. I was happy with the old one, except the ringer was shot. It wouldn't ring and I kept missing telephone calls and 
Plus, they offered me a free phone and a $200 credit, so I took the deal. This new phone had all these features I didn't need and I didn't want, and I started discovering them by accident. I found out one day as I was sitting in my Lazy Boy that I could take a, a video or make a video. I was sitting there in my chair, and suddenly the phone screen was showing my feet. I made them dance, and I, I rubbed them on each other. I curled and I wiggled my toes. And when I pushed the options button, one of the options was to replay. So I pushed it and I saw a replay of the dancing feet. I thought that was pretty cute. I pushed options again and one of the options was to send the video to somebody. Well, Paige was at school back in those days and her phone was on the kitchen table so I decided I'd send the video to her phone and she'd find a cool video when she got home. I punched in her number and I hit send. A little message came on my screen saying, video has been sent to everyone in your phone book. <laughs> I realized then I need to read the manual for this phone. See, when you don't read the manual, you can get yourself into trouble. The manual can tell you how to do the things you need to do and avoid doing the things that can get you into trouble. And Solomon had a manual for his kingship. It was included in the Old Testament law that was given to Moses. I'm going to turn to Deuteronomy 17 again. We were there earlier and read some of the restrictions that God would place on the kings of Israel. And the law, of course, had a lot of instructions for various people. And there are instructions for those who would become the kings of Israel. In Deuteronomy 17, 18 through 20, it says, When he, the king, takes the throne of his kingdom... He is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. And so Moses is saying, as he writes these restrictions and these guidelines, that the first thing Solomon should have done was to make a copy of the law. The law is the first five books of your Old Testament. He's to make a copy of it himself, not hire somebody to do it, not have his scribes do it. He was to write it himself by hand. And the second thing he should have done was to read it all the days of his life so he would know 
how to please God. The king's manual tells the results of writing and reading the law. Verse 19 says it would help him to fear God. It also says it would help him to follow the law. Verse 20 says it would help him to avoid becoming arrogant. It also says it would help him to avoid turning away from the law. It would ensure that his descendants would reign a long time over the kingdom. If Solomon's son was a fool, and the book of 1 Kings tells us that he was, we have to ask, what should Solomon have done to prepare him better to be king? Well, there's some guidelines in Deuteronomy 6 for all of the fathers. It says in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, this is a, a passage called the Shema. And it's for every father in Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Do you know that the conservative Jews to this day do these things? They wear little tassels that open up and have God's scriptures. This one in particular that we just read. So that those scriptures are on their person at all times. They have tassels on their, that hang from their foreheads. And they have a little compartment on their door frames with scriptures contained in them. They take this Shema literally. If Solomon had made a copy of the law and read it faithfully, Rehoboam, his son, would have been better prepared to rule the nation. Now, maybe it wouldn't prepare him in economics or warfare or political science or administration. But Saul wasn't prepared in those areas before he became king either. King David was not prepared in that way either. But those men were chosen for their humility. They were humble men, and that's why they were chosen for the kingship. It doesn't appear that Solomon followed the king's manual. He didn't live in humility, and so neither did his son. He didn't live the example of true wisdom for his boy. Everything Solomon saw around him was meaningless because Solomon chose to live a meaningless life. He didn't let God direct him. He didn't center things around God. He didn't direct his activities toward God. I want to challenge you to do a couple of things in this coming week. 
whether you're a father or a mother, whether you're an adult or a child, a worker in our society or a student, get in the habit of asking God to direct your day. Ask him to direct your day. Ask him each morning before you leave the house. Put a note on your bathroom mirror. Stick a note on the dashboard of your car that says, have you asked God to direct you today? Another thing you can do is center things on God and not yourself. Some Christians say that they are fasting when in reality their intention is to lose weight and they're using not eating to accomplish that. Makes, gives it an air of spirituality. Some pray, but it's all about getting the things they want or the things they think they need. Some are good givers, but it's only so that God will multiply it back to them. Some serve but it's only where they think they won't be really challenged or overburdened. Stop making it about you and start making it about God. Be intentional as you train your kids in the things of God, parents. Dads, live an example of godliness. Moms, Live an example of righteousness. I met a young man years ago. As we got acquainted, I found out that his father was a preacher. But this young man says he doesn't believe in God anymore. A preacher's kid. He says the only good thing he ever learned from his father was how not to treat a woman. The way that man lived at home drove his son away from God. Train your children, not by lecturing, although lectures have their place. And train your children not by quoting Scripture, although Scripture's good, but by living the Scriptures by living a godly example. You see, it's, it's all about God. And we can't be productive if it isn't about Him, if it isn't directed toward Him, if it isn't centered by God, if it isn't directed toward Him. It's all meaningless. And I want to challenge you today to... Begin to make it about God, the Lord, and His Son, Jesus. To become a Christian means to place Jesus Christ at the center and God's will at the center of your life. Maybe you know people. Maybe you're one of those people who keeps the family Bible in a cupboard somewhere. Instead of on the coffee table. 
Now, I'm not necessarily saying the Bible has to be on that piece of furniture in your living room. What I'm saying is there are too many people who, who have the Word of God, but they tuck it away for an emergency. Grandma's sick, so we'll pray and we'll read Scripture. There's a crisis in our lives. The marriage is breaking up. All of a sudden, we grab the Bible from wherever it's been hidden and we start to pay attention to it. God is not there for an emergency. He's not the fire extinguisher that you stick in the corner. Can any of you tell where our fire extinguishers are? No, we don't pay any attention to them. If you looked real hard, you could probably find them in this building. You know, God shouldn't be that way. Tuck them away in a cupboard somewhere and forget about them until there's a fire, until there's an emergency. He wants to be at the center, the center of, of each one of our lives. And so... To do that, you have to allow Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior of your life. and We're going to give you the opportunity to do that today. And so we're going to sing our, our invitation hymn. Is it, is it I Surrender All? Okay. And as we sing that, you know the drill. Uh, we'll be standing, step into the aisle, come down here, and make Jesus Christ your Lord. Let's stand. Let's sing. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Let's pray. Lord, help us to be productive in Your eyes. Lord, help us to remember that everything that we do is to be for your glory. Everything that we do is to be for the sake of living a godly example for those who are around us. Lord, we thank you that you present these Bible characters with all of their flaws, all of their mistakes, so that we can see how their lives and how their posterity was affected by their ungodliness. Lord, help us to, to see how not to live in the example of these characters. And help us to make it our pledge to live holy lives for you in this coming week, God. Now, as we go from this place, we pray that you'd go with us. And at every turn, Lord, speak to our hearts through your Holy Spirit. It's through Jesus that we pray these things. Amen. All right. Uh, no Wednesday night service, but uh, when we resume uh, the Wednesday after next, there's a, a sign-up sheet. If you can help 
uh, bring a dish, that would be exquisite. So, all right. We're going to sing our closing chorus, and uh, then we'll be dismissed. Through our God, we shall live valiantly. It is he who shall put down the enemy. We'll sing and shout the victory. Christ is king. All right, then. God bless you.